United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. Joined next by Henry Tugendat, who is an economist with the China team at the United States Institute of Peace. He focuses on issues related to China's impact on conflict dynamics in Africa and Latin America. He joins us now. Henry, welcome and good morning. How are you? Hi, good morning. Very well, thank you. I'm glad, you're, I'm glad that you're here. Thank you so much. Well, this, there was the BRICS Summit in, in South Africa. It's an important group, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Give our listeners a little bit of a, a, a rundown, though, of this group and um, what, it, what it's doing, what that summit was like as well. Yes, absolutely. So uh, as you said, this is uh, uh, originally comprised of Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. Uh, and this was a significant meeting because they expanded the group's membership for the first time in the roughly 10 years that they've been running uh, to include uh, Argentina, Saudi Arabia, UAE, Ethiopia, Iran, and Egypt. And uh, this is fundamentally a, a political grouping that was set up uh, with uh, a view that the one thing that really united them was that the, the current world order uh, favors Western interests and Western institutions, and they wanted to try and create some sort of counterbalance to that. Um but of course, um, this is significant because it now uh, includes uh, a lot of uh, countries uh, with whom uh, the US has uh, difficult or even hostile relations, um, such as Iran. And uh, as a uh, as a forum of discussion, it now forces us to consider some of the security interests they may share among themselves uh, and how those may sometimes run counter to US security interests. How do those run counter? And obviously, the, the, the combination, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, I have to say, it's an interesting combination of, of countries, number one. Um, and I wonder, what are these common interests? And these are, are they truly common economically? Is it through health? What is it? Is it a, a disdain for other countries that might include the U.S.? Obviously, all those do not have a the, nearly the relationship that we do with Russia, obviously. But what what is the common ground for these countries? Right. So that's a good question. We, we're not entirely sure yet because um, uh, one of the challenges that they're going to face with this expansion is that, of course, this is going to lead to an expansion of voices. And I think <clears throat> while a lot of... Um, uh, a lot of analysis is focused on how uh, China has tried to drive the expansion of this grouping uh, to, say, counterbalance an institution like the G7. I think uh, really what they risk ahead is that they've created inadvertently something a bit closer to the G20 in that they have now a much larger organization with uh, no secretariat, no um, uh, no legal authority over the decisions and often no consensus. Uh, so um, I, I think it will, uh, uh, you know, it's unclear yet what the consensus will be because, of course, the geographic scope is global um, and, and uh, the ability to create institutions within that will be challenging. But I think, you know, as a forum for discussion, uh, it still matters because um, obviously this was created to have uh, internal discussions among middle income countries without Western participants. Their membership is also significant in, in the scale, because I understand with the new BRICS members, they represent almost half of the world's population. 
and a little over a third of its GDP at purchasing power parity. I mean, by contrast, the G7 comprises 10% of the world's population and a little less than a third of its GDP um, at purchasing power. That's very significant. Yes, yes, it is. And especially if you compare it with uh, where they've come from. I mean, if you look at uh, in the year 2000, the G7 made up uh, around 50% just under in pushing power parity. And the um, uh, the BRICS, as they were then, just the original five, uh, were a little less than uh, 10%. So uh, in large part, this was really driven by China's success, its economic success. Um, but uh, it, it's it's obviously an economic uh, grouping uh, that is very significant in, in the world stage now and will shape geopolitics. The question remains, though, um, to what extent will they agree on what those alternative institutions uh, and uh, uh, alternative uh, an alternative world order might look like? And we're, and we're seeing we're already getting a sense of the challenges that they face just by looking at the last few years. I mean, uh, Jair Bolsonaro in Brazil for four years uh, from 2019 to last year was um, a big critic of China's uh, and picked many fights with them. And similarly, since the 2020 border clash with India, uh, China-India relations have been frosty. And, and that has hampered many of the uh, alternatives to the current world order that they've been trying to implement, such as the New Development Bank, uh, and uh, uh, which is trying to be a, a, effectively a global South-led version of the World Bank, but has yet to define itself against all the other global South alternatives to the World Bank that already exist. Do they have, I mean, do they have any legal authority to their decisions? I mean, is there is there like a secretariat? Is there a big organizational notion here as compared to, say, a G7 and beyond? No, there's no secretariat, no legally binding um, uh, decisions uh, that, that, that necessarily come out of this. I mean, it's it's very it's a very consensus-based grouping. But they do, I mean, as I said, they are trying to create institutions like the New Development Bank and uh, Special Reserve uh, Bank, which is supposed to be an alternative to the IMF. Uh, and the the, uh, the 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 latter is is struggling to get off the ground a bit more. But the um, the New Development Bank is at least based. Uh, in Shanghai and um, has some startup capital, but um, uh, is not yet as significant as many of the other uh, Global South uh, development banks like the Asian Development Bank, the Caribbean Development Bank, the Inter-American Development Bank, the African Development Bank, and so forth. Fascinating. So what what is the next steps for this organization? What are they what are we looking to see what they do next? And how is our own um, US government thinking about them? So I think we're going to be interested to see um, effectively uh, what it means for these new members to join uh, Argentina, Saudi Arabia, UAE, Ethiopia, Iran, Egypt. You know, what are the um, what are the requirements on them joining? Are they going to have to inject capital uh, in certain uh, common projects? And if so, uh, what is the consensus around those projects? Um, but otherwise, uh, I, I think it'll just be a matter of what's on the agenda uh, in the coming months. You know, what are they going to be? Uh, what are they going to be talking about? And um, uh, what sort of decisions come out of these forums uh, to give us a sense of whether they're succeeding in their goal or not? 
Really important to hear your perspective and to bring us all the information we need. Henry Tugendhat, thank you, an economist with the China team at the United States Institute of Peace. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you so much for having me. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.